0: You're listening to Alamo City Limits podcast with Noah Magaro george the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation.
1: What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah Magaro george and today I'm joined by a very special guest and one of the newest members of Pounding the Rock, Damian Bartonek. How you doing, man?
0: I'm doing good, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk some Spurs hoops. We were talking a little bit off the air. And, man, I'm excited, brother. Let's do it, man.
1: Yeah, I'm excited, too. We'll, we'll sort of just sort of hop into things here. So right now we're recording this podcast. It's just about noon central time. It's the day after the Lakers game. The Spurs lost a close one there. And let's go ahead and talk about the Lakers game first. So is there anything that really stood out to you about this game? I'll talk about a few things that I like, but I'd love to give your your perspective first here.
0: Yeah, I want to start first with, like, Key Diop D nearly 30 minutes uh, while Thad got three minutes off the bench. That's what I really want to hit on. So down the stretch, we saw KBD was out there for just about the entirety of the closing lineups, whether it was, you know, wh- whatever was going on, like KBD was out there. You know, he wasn't a guy that was rotating in and out. And um, it's a bit shocking to me because that was a guy that some people thought had the potential of being waived before the year. Or even if he made the squad, you'd see him like in a very limited role. Uh, but for Coach Pop to play Keita down the stretch, that screams that he's really confident in what he brings out the fore, uh, whether it's off the ball or as a defender. And I know, sure, you could say like Keldon's off night or Doug's injury kind of had something to do with that where KBD benefited from uh, from that. But, man, to see him play those minutes and, and play consistently over Keldon down the stretch uh, or even over a veteran like Thad Young, who I'll talk about later here, that speaks volumes so far about where this staff thinks he's at, in my opinion. Uh, and I'll kind of parlay those thoughts into Thad Young here And I really feel like Thad's minutes being in such a small package to start the year is a bit alarming. Obviously, these aren't the same players, but last time we saw a veteran addition play sparingly to start the year, he was bought out by midseason. And I'm referring to Damari Carroll. I understand San Antonio's opting to roll with this young group for better or for worse. But three minutes of Thad Young on Tuesday, you know, he's averaging just about six minutes on the year. Uh, we we could be looking at a guy that may not fit with this group, like myself and others believed he would have. And maybe he doesn't play his way into the rotation, but rather his fit makes him borderline unplayable with the play styles that San Antonio currently possesses. So I know that was a lot to kind of throw out, you know, immediately, but man, KBD playing down the stretch was awesome for me. I, I, I liked seeing that, but Thad young three minutes, like that was, that's, it's been shocking, man. I don't know if you expected that, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I think I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach and obviously. I respect your opinion 100%, but here's why I sort of took issue with Kata Bates-Diop playing. So I actually didn't think he was all that great last night. He actually had one of the final turnovers of the game that pretty much like sealed the deal for the Spurs. He wasn't really like anything to me except for a big body. You know, Kelvin Johnson was in foul trouble. He wasn't going. Uh, Like you said, Thaddeus Young really hasn't played very much. He hasn't really fit that well with the roster. And I'll sort of give a few thoughts about that. So my my first thought is that you can't be playing Kata Bates-Diop 30 minutes in a game. I understand why they did it. But at the same time, you've got a guy there, Thaddeus Young, who he was supposed to be like the prize of that DeMar DeRozan sign and trade, right? Even if he wasn't going to play like a giant role for the entire season, you figured like, okay, you're going to pick up his trade value. You're going to help him really integrate into this roster. He's going to help things flow. He's a really nice playmaker as like a a post hub. He's a guy who's an adequate defender by all means, like a, a true professional. And then you might get something at the trade deadline for him, right? But if he's not playing, you're not not doing anything except hurting his trade value. You're one in three. I know the Spurs, in my opinion, have played better than a one in three basketball team. But I just don't think they're going to be that much better. Like, I don't think they're going to win a lot of games. And if you're a guy who's not playing at all for a team that's not winning, your trade value is nothing. It's nothing. And so for me, I think he brings more to the table than Keita Bates-Diob does. I know he can shoot a little bit better than than Thaddeus Young, right? We know Kieda can shoot better than Thaddeus Young a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who you're paying quite a bit of money. And I know it's the last year of his contract, but if you want to get anything out of him, and I think you could, there's no reason he should be sitting at the end of the bench. And I don't care that Keldon Johnson is in foul trouble. I don't care that he's been struggling all game. You leave him out there. This is what the season is for. It's for figuring out who is worth keeping around. Who's going to be the next guy? Who can handle these these crunch time minutes, the shots? I don't want to see Kieda out there. I'm sorry. He's a guy who, what, he's 25 years old. He's been on two two-way contracts. He was a, a cut candidate at the beginning of the season, before the season like ever began. And to me, it's just the same as if you had played Dante Cunningham thirty minutes, right? Like, what did that do for the Spurs? I'm not saying that he played a ton of minutes all season, but like when he played those games, didn't really impact winning, didn't really change anything. It just stopped other guys from getting minutes. And so, for me, I'm glad for Kieda. if he if he carves out a role with the Spurs. Good for him. But at the end of the day, it hurts Thad's trade value. Keldon could have been out there. I know, like I said, I know he was struggling, but that's just my opinion with that. And I have nothing against Keita. I hope he does well. And I hope he proves me wrong. Just like I hope every player who I've ever said anything about proves me wrong, but it's really tough to see him out there. But I did think, uh, you know, maybe that's not going to be a consistent theme throughout the season. What do you think about that? You think he's going to get a lot of minutes or this is really just a situational thing?
0: No, I think it was situational. And I agree. Like, of course, I would rather have seen Keldon out there. But I think just for the time being, like, we're, I mean, we're talking about a guy in who, Keldon who hasn't made a three-point shot yet, <laughs> for one. And for two, I mean, two of ten, you know, foul trouble. Like, I can see why they did it. I think I still think, it, you know, it shows that at least they're confident in, in KBD to at least produce something to do something enough to where Keldon isn't seeing the floor, right? So, while I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, like, oh, man, I want KBD down the stretch, you know, 82 games for the rest <laughs> of the year. Uh, I am saying that, hey, I mean, it's, it's an encouraging sign from a guy who, you know, I guess it's more of a feel-good story, like, hey, he, he could have been cut. He's not cut. He was just closing the lineup down with against the LA Lakers. Like, you know, maybe there's something there. But uh, in terms of that young, I want to I wanna say one more thing about that. It's really interesting how like his play style, like we knew the Spurs weren't gonna be this great shooting team. We knew in the front court, especially like outside of you know five, six feet. I know Drew Eubanks likes to shoot three a little bit now, but you know, the Spurs front court isn't offering much, right? It's kind of like Thad Young. You need to play him. You need to play him alongside a big man that can shoot the basket that can space the floor. And uh, it's really hard for me to imagine many lineups where he does play. Like even if he is like the small ball five, which we know he can do a little bit, it's it's almost like you need him out there with like shooting or off ball movement players who like aren't just you know butt down ready to spot up and shoot. You know what I mean? So that's that's it's it's really cr- and I knew this. Like we knew this. But for some reason, my dumb brain was like, no, man, he can do more. He can do more. But I just, it's just not working. And it's really hard for me to envision something with with Thaddeus Young throughout this year.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. It's It was sort of one of those things that I was optimistic about his fit. He's a really smart player, a high basketball IQ. He has got a lot of skill for somebody who's a little undersized at the five. Maybe he's still a little bit undersized at the four, but... I liked him a lot. You know, he was a guy who fit in really well, arguably the best or not best, but third best player on the Bulls last year before they got Nikola Vucevic. But I think you're absolutely right. He had a guy like Nikola Vucevic, Laurie and guys who can shoot the three ball. And there's just not really a lot of that. Like I was really optimistic because, you know, we saw Drew Eubanks saying, you know, I can shoot the three. I've been working on it. He showed it off in the preseason. Jockland Dale shot. We know he could shoot. So it's like, OK, if he's in the backups, if he's playing with those guys, And he's got a few bigs who can shoot the ball. I think this might be able to work. He's got Devin Vassell. He's got Lonnie Walker, maybe Josh Primo, Trey Jones. Like there's enough Mm -hmm. shooting there that it could work in theory, but that just hasn't happened. I mean, Jock hasn't played. Drew really hasn't shot the three ball. I think he took one for the first time yesterday, didn't make one and maybe that'll change. But for now, he's almost unplayable inside these Spurs lineups, which is really tough because. At the same time, while I think, you know, they they need to play him, they've got to maintain his trade value, you know, I know that they're going to be trying to win games. And honestly, I don't know if Thaddeus Young helps you win games with this roster as constructed, which is really tough. And I think the last thing I want to talk about here with the Lakers game with the Spurs is San Antonio's inability to close out a winnable game minus LeBron James And, and I know that look people were going to say if they beat them, oh well it was without LeBron James. But if they if they lose like they did last night, they would go, "Oh well, but it was with Le, you know, without LeBron yeah. James." So, yep. it was a lose-lose situation for the Spurs, I think in a lot of the minds of fans who were like optimistic for that game, but I will say they were close. They had it several times where it looked like, "Okay, they can put this away." They didn't. Is that something that you expect to happen this season because honestly, young teams typically struggle in crunch time. They don't know really how to close out a game. And Demar Derozan was the closer, so you know who's going to close these games. What's going to happen, and, and and do you expect this to sort of be an issue where okay, it's a tight game with a good team, but they just don't
0: know how to finish? Yes, on the on the second question, I think that we I sh- I think we all should expect them to kind of I don't know if struggle is the right right word just because like I mean I think Dejounte kind of proved that hey he's pretty comfortable in that role as the go to scorer especially down the stretch, but I I, I mean I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm just picking and choosing here because. Yeah, I don't think the Spurs are going to close out many uh, tough games, any, many close games, especially against teams like the Lakers, or even if it's a Denver where they play them tough for two and a half quarters, you know, like stuff like that. But I will say, like, I, I like the fact that we saw DeJounte be really comfortable and and kind of embrace that go-to role that a lot of people thought that maybe a Lonnie Walker would have been or a Derek White. It's, it's kind of like DeJounte to the occasion. And while, yeah, he did kind of fail in a sense, because you know, the whole team did essentially down the stretch. We didn't see that hesitancy or discomfort that you may see. I mean, this this team funneled their their, their closing offense through DeMar DeRozan for the last three years. It, it was like every possession, you know, he's touching the ball. And this time we got DeJounte Murray, you know, in this first option role. So I, I was fine with what we saw. I, I would be just like kind of like, like a little like hesitant to say like, oh yeah, th- this, is, this is, you know, the bread and butter. It's only going to improve with time. While that may happen, that's a lot to put on a young team's plate, in my opinion. And there's still a lot of we still have a lot of, you know, you know a lot of questions, not a lot of answers right now. So, yeah, I think right now, uh, like I put here by notes throughout the game, you know, they like to drive the ball, drive the ball. They drive about 50 times a game and that's cool and all. But eventually it's going to get to a point where slashing just isn't enough. And that it eventually it's going to make your offense look like spilled chili, and nobody wants that. <laughs> so you want it, you want it, you want some guys that can create off the bounce. Dejounte can do that, especially down the stretch. But all in all, I was I was happy with what I saw. Embrace the struggle, like the saying goes. And um, I think maybe Dejounte, in these you know little failures like this, might make him a better player for the next time um, you know he's up to bat. Yeah,
1: and I don't have the stats in front of me at the moment, but last season, DeJounte finished second in, in like, crunch time or clutch, whatever you want to call it, clutch, crunch time, uh, field goal attempts mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. DeMar DeRozan on the Spurs. But it was a lot. Like, I think he took about 100 crunch time shots last year. He was pretty efficient, almost like 48 47%, something like that. So pretty good. And so for me, I think I always saw DeJounte as the guy who's going to take over the go-to scoring role, going to be that guy down the stretch, going to be that guy who, when you need a bucket, you're going to ask him to go get it. But I think now it's, can he get it? So far, yeah. no. But again, it's a small sample size. It's four games. And I think the thing that interesting more than anything was the closing lineup last night. So it was DeJounte, Lonnie, Vassell, Gata Bates, Diab, and Jakob for fourth and overtime. That was the closing lineup for both of those periods. But I kind of think that like the ideal closing lineup, and I'd love to get yours. For me, it's got to be Derek, DeJounte, Keldon, McDermott, and Jakob. I think right there you have enough self-creation, you have enough shooting and you have enough defense to really keep yourself alive. And plus, as long as DeJounte's there, and I think he's the guy who's going to be taking the shot when the when it really matters. As long as he's in there, I think you have like a fighting chance. Whereas last night wasn't really sure that they had a good chance to beat the Lakers once it went into overtime. Because I think, look, it's hard to stop Anthony Davis. They've got a lot of veterans on that team, they understand how to win and at the end of the day, the Spurs are really young. Like they're the fourth youngest team, something like that in the NBA, the youngest roster of the Popovich era. So I, I just don't know what to think of them when they get into these situations, but I have a feeling they're going to be in a lot of these situations, right? Because they're a tough team. They're not great. They're not a really, in my mind, a playoff contender. They're not a title contender, but they're competitive every night. They haven't rolled over any game. There hasn't been a single game where, okay, Spurs are getting blown out. All oh, this one's over before it begins. Like they have gotten after it every single night. So That's just my ideal closing lineup, but I'd love to hear yours. Who do you think should be at the end of the game, you know, in there when, when it matters, when the game is on the line?
0: Yeah. um, I agree with you, by the way, too. Like they're going to be in a lot of these games. Just they they play like a young team, man. And I mean, that's why yesterday when I'm saying like, I'm enjoying this, I just enjoy the fight. I enjoy the effort. Uh, It's definitely, you know, I brought the fresh air because last year we didn't really experience that all too much. Uh, But my, I think ideally the best closing lineup in my opinion is DeJounte, Derek, Devin, Doug, and Jakob. You might be giving up some interior pressure here when it comes to like rebounding, but this lineup outside of McDermott is pretty versatile defensively. Uh, I think Doug is at least a willing defender. So you won't have to worry about, you know, those DeRozan type defensive mishaps, but the shooting is there off the ball. You have two strong pick and roll players and Derek and, I may sound crazy, bro, but I love me some De- uh, some Devin Vassell in the pick and roll, especially yesterday. Had a really <laughs> nice dish to Jakob. You have some slashing ability. You have some mid range scoring, and I think that's that closing lineup would be best. But I'm just looking at the needs of this team and kind of what's the most balanced, you know, quote unquote balanced lineup that also gives them, you know, a needed shooting spark, and, and and while they can also be, you know, versatile enough defensively so for to take on whatever matchup. So that's the lineup for me that I like. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just crazy, but. I think Devin Vassell is so valuable to to this team, especially when he's on. I just want the most Devin Vassell minutes that I can get. Maybe I'm crazy, to know Tell me if no, I'm crazy. No, I love
1: Devin. I had him fourth on <laughs> my big board a few years ago, and people were like, really, yeah. fourth on your big board? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I still believe it. Like, even after his rookie season, Tyrese Halliburton, you know, he got picked right after Devin, and people were like, oh, man, they should have taken Tyrese. I was like, no, I still believe in Devin. Give him three years. That's when we'll figure out who is who. I really believe in Devin. I think he's a really good player. I don't know if he's going to be that number one kind of guy. But he's one of those guys like Mikel Bridges, who he's so impactful. He can help winning. He's an excellent off-ball defender. He understands where to make the rotations. He knows where to be. He's got those long appendages. He can get every deflection you could ever imagine. And then he's also got some, like, a little additional stuff on the offensive end. Like, he can shoot off the bounce from the mid-range. He can catch and shoot from three. The one thing I want to see him do is really get to the rim. I'm not sure that's ever really going to happen to him. He's not super explosive, doesn't have a bunch of wiggle off the dribble. But... You know what I like Devin. I really, really, really like Devin. And I want I want to move on though. I want to talk about Dejounte. I want to talk about Jakob. Both of them had themselves a game last night. Dejounte had a triple double. I think it was a career high fifteen assists as part of that. Jakob had twenty seven points, another career high. What do you think about Dejounte? Like, is that something that we should expect from Dejounte, or or is this you know more of just a one night explosion? Or do you think he's that dude? Do you think he's a guy who can be you know top two, top three, top four in the NBA in assists per game because he's getting his teammates open?
0: Uh, That's tough. I don't know if, if DeJounte has has, you know, top four, top three assist numbers. I think like we mentioned, you know, he's a good rebounding guard. I'd say that. And I, obviously there's you know, other technical reasons why they're also letting him you know get these boards as well but I think as a scorer, I think he could average you know around that 18 19 20 points per game mark the rebounds the same thing probably that six seven eight range even the assists you know he with how much the ball is gonna be in his hands I don't have the usage numbers in front of me but I would assume that he's gonna be you know their primary ball handler at all times when he's on the floor and um, I think, you know, he might he might be able to put up these numbers as well. He's at 25.3%. So Kelvin's at 26, he's at 25. So, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, from a statistical uh, standpoint, yeah, you can expect those kind of numbers. But the impact is what, you know, we're all m- more concerned with. He could average 20, 20, and 20. If it's quiet, I, I don't, you know, we don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? So, like like you mentioned, too, off the air that, you know, he was really impactful defensively last night. And I agree. Uh, offensively, the scoring was a little rough. 9 of 24 is not something that you want to talk much about. But I think all in all, if he's going to be San Antonio's number one option, you can expect these 15, these nights where he does, you know, go crazy with these triple doves, these 20, uh, 20, 10s and 10s or something like that. He's very capable of doing that. But again, we want impact. We don't want, you know, empty calories, as some people like to call them.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think DeJounte is probably better than his early season statistics show. I mean, I think it's been a rough go for him right now. I'm looking at the numbers right here in front of me. It looks like DeJounte Murray is shooting about 37% from the field. So very bad. 21% from three. So that's also very bad. But you look at his game. He's not really a three-point shooter. I know he showed a little bit of like of that during the preseason. But I am just wasn't super confident he was going to carry it into the regular season. He's never really been a shooter. It's really hard to learn how to shoot off the dribble consistently. Hasn't really done that. He's a really elite mid-range shooter. I will say this for him right now. His shooting numbers don't look great. We've talked about it, but his bread and butter is the mid-range, right? We know he's going to want to get there. He wants to get to a spot. He wants to rise up. He wants to knock that down. But right now, 8 of 27, 29.6% so far this season. That's not good, but I think we know he's elite, right? Like, we know he's elite from that area. He's been consistently top 10 to top 15 for the last two, three seasons, I think he'll get back to there. And once he starts getting back to there, I really do think he's going to be the leading scorer for this team. I think he's going to be that guy who runs the offense and looks a lot more efficient than he does right now. I think they're still figuring things out. But, you know, like I said, before the season started, I said DeJounte is their leading scorer. Is he still that guy, at least in your mind, who's going to be the leading scorer, who's going to be the guy who they give the ball to and say, hey, this is your team. Are you still confident in that?
0: Yeah, I think I think Dejounte is probably the the best. Like he's the most qualified. I think off the dribble, kind of creator score for this team. And while like we mentioned, the shooting numbers are down, I think he's probably the most consistent scorer, like scoring option on the team as well. Um, so yeah, I'm still a believer that you know he can be that go to scorer for this team. I think he flashes a you know a con- consistent offensive scoring threat uh, that other players on the rosters don't have. And um, you know he may not have this you know creative dribble package with counter moves and all this kind of crazy stuff. But, you know, like we mentioned, the bread and butter is the mid-range. He can get to that with ease. It's all about making the shots at the end of the day, and I think uh, he can do that.
1: Yeah, I I do agree with you. I think exactly that. I think he's going to be able to raise his efficiency. I think he's going to be a lot better as the season goes on. Now, does that mean he's going to be an all-star? Does that mean the Spurs are going to win a ton of games? No, probably not, but I think at least if DeJounte can produce like he has in seasons past and and sort of have similar efficiency with a raised usage with more shots per game I think they're going to be okay I think they'll be fine offensively like I really think I thought that they were going to be sort of and, and I don't mean this like in a bad way but I kind of thought it was going to be a train wreck offensively I think they've actually been okay despite the really bad three-point shooting numbers and we'll get into that later but I want to talk about one last thing from last night's game. So we also saw Lonnie Walker and Devin Cell combined for, I think, 40 points, nine rebounds and eight assists last night. What are your first impressions of those two early in the season? And how do you think they sort of compare to Patty Mills and Rudy Gay? I know that they're not exactly playing the same position, but they're in similar roles and they've replaced those guys effectively.
0: I think for Lonnie, one of my last like preview pieces on Pound of the Rock for preseason was like, man hopefully this guy can kind of get something going to kind of give him some momentum heading into the year. And uh, I think last night was like his first game where you said like kind of a breath of fresh air, like finally, there we go. Now we can build off of this. Um, So it was really encouraging to see him play uh, how well he played last night. Uh, I believe, what was he? Five of five of seven from deep last night, seven to 10 from the field. I think so yeah, or, it, it was, it was something sensational like that. Devin Vassell, Guys, we can you can we you can talk about Devin Vassell (laughs) on my Twitter all day. We can do it, but I think both of those players are really really nice uh, additions, especially off the bench. Even in closing lineups, like we mentioned, like with Vassell, in terms of kind of comparing them to Patty Mills and Rudy Gay, while they don't you know have the exact same role so to speak, they're doing just fine. I mean, you can't be upset you can't be upset at what they're offering you, whether it's shooting. I mean, uh, right now Lonnie on nearly seven attempts is thirty eight percent the uh, sale on five is forty five percent they're really kind of filling their roles nicely and whether that's off the ball or or I mean they're not getting a ton of you know primary initiator reps. I still think what they're doing is really really uh, important, especially if you're if you're kind of going through this rebuild you need pieces that can fit no matter where you go, what direction you go as a franchise, they're kind of proving that they can be those pieces thus far it's only four games so I'm not gonna you know say, hey, <laughs> let's extend Lonnie right now, but what I am saying is, you have you have to be encouraged, especially after last night.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think Lonnie looked really good. I think Devin looked really good. And I think if they can continue to shoot, now I don't think they're going to make like five three-pointers every single night, but if they can mm-hmm. provide some shooting off the bench, I think that goes a long way for the Spurs team who, look, they don't have a ton of shooters, like proven shooters. I know they have Bren. I think he played like five minutes last night. Like Pop yep. seems to have a pretty short leash on him this time around. He wasn't performing. He yanked him from the game. That was it. Uh, Doug McDermott. We know he can shoot the ball, but he got injured last night. He didn't come back in the second half, and they're going to need guys like Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, guys who coming out of college, they projected to be good shooters. They're going to need them to be that. They can't be streaky. They can't be inconsistent. They're going to need that if they want to be competitive because, look, the the years where they have been very bottom of the barrel in the league in terms of three-point volume, and then last year where we saw them were almost near the bottom in three-point efficiency, they weren't good. They just simply weren't good, and they're going to need that every single night if they want to continue to be competitive, because I think early on this season, we've seen a lot of fight. We've seen a lot of encouraging things, but as the season goes on, I think the the picture could change if that shooting is not going well. Teams will start playing you a little bit different, and it could really change the dynamic of the entire offense, but we'll move into uh, sort of what we've seen from the opening week. So we had the Lakers last night, but the Spurs also played the Orlando Magic, the Denver Nuggets, Milwaukee Bucks, so... What were some of the things that you saw from that? And do you think that the Spurs sort of lived up to your preseason slash offseason expectations or, or are they a different team than you thought they were going to be?
0: I think the one thing that stood out to me, honestly, both. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me immediately was uh, this team definitely plays up to the competition and that's encouraging. That's a good sign, uh, especially from a young group. They play every single game like it's their last and you like that. Against Orlando, not a very good team. They took care of business. Thumbs up. Uh, you played tough teams. Denver, even without Jamal Murray, they're a good team. Milwaukee, come on, we know. Uh, the Lakers, <laughs> even without even without LeBron, we know, right? And they played up to competition. That's a good sign. In terms of living up to my preseason or offseason expectations, I've expected them to be like one and three, you know, through four games. I know some people, I got some, someone was like, dude, are you serious? You think they're going to win 33 games? Like they are angry with me. And I'm like, no, like let's take a deep breath. You know, young team. You know, hey, there's a lot of you know we got a lot of things to look for this year. Like, let's calm down with the expectations. And I think they're doing just fine. I mean, I'm not upset. Maybe it's because I- I'm just in- enthusiastic. They're a young team, and so I like the fight that they're showing or something like that. But <laughs> no, nah, I-, I think they're 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 doing just fine right now. They're they're on they're on schedule. They're on track. Yeah, you lost three really good teams. Okay, you're you're a really young team. Like it's we're good. Like it's fine. But I would love to hear what you have to say about it.
1: I didn't have any expectations really for the Spurs, like big expectations. I didn't think they were going to make the play and I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. And like I've said, I think they're going to be competitive every single night. And they have been. And the fact that they weren't blown out by any of these really good teams. And like you said, even minus Jamal Murray, even minus LeBron James, even minus like the Bobby Portises and Dante DiVincenzos, they've looked good. They've played to the competition. They haven't rolled over at all. They've been in the games. And the thing that I've really loved is they've been in games with their defense. Even if the offense sort of flounders, their defense has been exactly as advertised. And I know some people didn't really believe that. They were saying, okay, well, they got Vassell, they've got Derek, they've got DeJounte, they've got Yaka. But, like, who else do they got? And I think everybody else has really stepped up. And if you look at some of the defensive field goal percentage numbers, you can read a little bit into that with guys like Lonnie and Doug McDermott. They're not doing too well, but I think as a team, they've really covered well for each other. There's no real huge liabilities. I know Brent Forbes was a big liability last time he was here, but let's be real. He played next to Patty Mills and Marco Bellinelli. Like it was always going to be really tough for him to succeed. And now that he's playing next to guys who have that defensive acumen, it's not as big of a deal if he's a little bit late on a rotation. It's not as big of a deal if he gets beat on a backdoor cut because he's got guys to cover for him. And the same thing for Doug McDermott. So, I've been super, super impressed by their defense. And I also think Keldon and and sort of move on here. Keldon has been really awesome. Like I think Keldon, aside from last night, Keldon Johnson has looked really good. He's sort of putting together an early most improved player of the year campaign. And I'd love to get your sort of thoughts on Keldon Johnson. Can he maintain this for an entire season? Is he as good as his numbers suggest? Is he really that much more improved? What are you seeing from him?
0: Yeah, Keldon. Keldon's Keldon's the character, man. Keldon looks really, really <laughs> solid this year. I know a lot of, the shooting is obviously something that we worry about and we talk about, and we're like, yeah, the shooting definitely needs to improve. But outside of that, I mean, this guy's really making. I mean, let, let's 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 throw it out here for a guy that has next to nothing when it comes to shooting right now. For him to be shooting 50% from the floor, 7-14 tonight, that's pretty impressive. You know, defenses, especially now, I mean, look at what happens whenever, uh, you know, half-court offense versus half-court half defense where everything's set up. They would dare him to shoot, and he's still, you know, able to get his own shot, you know, 18 points a night. Like, that's that's really impressive, all things considered. And just wait till the, you know, the shot falls eventually. If it does, like, it, you, it, you know, your mind kind of goes like, man, what will that open up for not only himself but for others on the team? So I think he's been really good as well. You know, he's taken just about, I think it's like 60% of his shots are inside of 10 feet. And um, once that range kind of starts to step out a little bit, man, it would be, it would do some things for the Spurs offense. So I agree with you. He's looked really, really good. We need the shooting to improve, obviously, but you're encouraged, man. I mean, this, this dude looks, looks legit.
1: Yeah. He hasn't made a three pointer yet this season, but I don't expect that to be the case, right? Eventually he's going to make some, even if it's below league average, I think he's going to sit in the low thirties, mid thirties. And that's fine. I think once he gets there, they might respect him a little bit. It might open up some more avenues to get towards the basket, because right now that's like all of his offense, getting to the free throw line, Mm -hmm. finishing out the hoop. And one thing that's kind of surprised me, I'm looking through some of the stats here on NBA's uh, website and you look at the shooting numbers for Keldon from the different ranges right now. He's actually been really bad at the rim, really, really bad at the rim. He's taken 16 shots at the rim, only made eight. That's well below league average. Last season, league average was 62%. That's only 50%. So not ideal, but you kind of stretch it out a little bit to the end, the paint, not directly at the rim. He's 13 to 21, 62%. That's really, really good. The rest of the league last year shot about 50% from that range. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to maintain that. But once he sort of picks it up around the rim, because we know he can finish well, he just hasn't quite to this point. I think he's going to be a lot more dangerous and I'm not sure that the mid range is going to hold either. I think he's like eight for 10 from mid range right now. He's not going to shoot 80% all year, but I think if he can pick that up a little bit, pick up the three point shooting a little bit, we're going to see maybe not 20 points per game all season, because I don't think that's really that sustainable for a guy who's sort of one dimensional in some ways this year, but I do think, you know, 16, 17 points per game on good efficiency. That's something that's fair to expect from Kelden. And I think at the end of the day, if he's a guy, who's not your, Number one star, your number two star. He's still a really, really good player for a guy you got at the 29th overall pick. The Spurs clearly believe in him. I believe in him as like a, you know, high end third option. And hopefully he can continue to prove that because the Spurs have a lot of players who, you know, they could project to be number twos. They could project to be number threes, but they haven't really shown it yet not consistently. And I think Keldon has, and he's continued to make progress. So I'm really encouraged by what I've seen from Keldon. I think he's a really great kid. He's got a ton of energy. And and I think that's something that we sometimes forget is like, you can't really quantify like bringing energy, enthusiasm, like pumping up your teammates. And I think that's huge. Like he is sort of an agitator, a friendly one, but you definitely know that's got to get under people's skin a little bit, right? Like he's screaming every single play, every time he finishes, every time he gets to the free throw line. Like, I think we can't discount how important that is to the team morale. So. Really, really impressed with Keldon. And I guess one of the, the last things I so, sort of want to talk about from this opening week was the nine-man rotation. Did you notice that at all?
0: A little bit. I, one thing one thing that I guess was really sticking out to me that I was, like, really focused on was, like, we weren't seeing any, like, Brent Forbes or my man Trey Jones or Thad Young, and I was like, what is going on? And then we see, you know, we see K- uh, KBD getting minutes. So I think I was, like, not, like, exactly like, oh, man, they're only running nine, but... I was more so focused on who was playing. And I was like, yeah, this is not what I expected at all. It's <laughs> like, what is going on? Even then, like uh, Drew Eubanks at 13 minutes, KBD at 14. You know, Bryn, uh, Bryn Forbes only getting eight minutes a night. Like, yeah, it, it's it's pretty interesting how how limited the rotation has been. I was really thinking, man, we were going to get some Trey Jones action. I really I know. was. I know. That's, uh, I
1: was really rooting for it, too. But go ahead. Continue. We can talk about that in a that, second.
0: Yeah, I was really thinking we were going to get some Trey Jones action. Now that I'm, you know, have the minutes in front of me, one thing I was going to add to your point, too, about Brent Forbes was basically, you know, we know what he isn't, you know, defensively, but he's only getting eight minutes a night, man. I mean, the other night, what was it yesterday? was at six. Like, he's playing really, really little minutes. So I think overall, it's really showing us that, man, this youth movement is 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 in full effect even deeper than we thought. I mean, it's literally it's it's outside of Doug McDermott. You got like young player, young player, young player, young player, and everyone's getting the PT. I wish that extended to Trey Jones. And I mean, we'll probably talk about Primo, too. And I wish maybe it was a little bit of Primo action. But yeah, man, the the rotation's been interesting. Uh, I don't I don't really have many complaints about it other than Trey Jones.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I really want to see Trey Jones play. He looks really good in summer league. He didn't get to play at all during the preseason because of that ankle injury. And that's unfortunate. I really thought that kind of stunted his his uh, momentum. And you know what? Like if he doesn't get to play, I'm not really sure how much of his future lies in San Antonio. Because, look, it's a second year. And I know that's like it's not the end of the road if you're not playing as a second year player. But they just drafted Josh Primo. Like if you're Mm -hmm. not getting in there and they didn't assign him to the G League, which by today they did assign Josh Primo to the G League. Like, where is he going to play? Like, he's not going to get minutes. He's just going to be sitting there. And when you look at how Pop has used Derek and DeJounte, he's started Derek and DeJounte alongside each other. He leaves DeJounte in the game, takes Derek out. And then once DeJounte comes back out, Derek's right back in. So they're staggered for most of the game. And then they play together in closing lineups, which isn't super surprising. But that doesn't really leave a lot of room for Trey Jones. Like, that's a guy who kind of needs the ball in his hands to be effective. He's not really a shooter at this point. I know he showed some more three-point threat at, uh, at at the Summer League. I know that he showed a little bit of mid-range game at Summer League, but let's be honest, he hasn't shown it in the NBA yet. So I just kind of worried that we're not going to get a lot of Trey Jones minutes, and I wanted to see it, man. He looked good. I yeah. thought he kind of earned that, but, you know, Pop, you know, he's, he's the guy who makes the decision at the end of the day. We don't get to tell him who he gets to play in the game. <laughs> like, he's going to do yeah. whatever he wants. He doesn't care what we say, but you know, hopefully we do see Trey Jones because I do think he'd be like a nice mixture in there with the second unit, really, as in my opinion, the only guy who's a true point guard, a guy who really wants to facilitate, who understands how to, you know, get the ball moving outside of DeJounte Murray and and Derek White. But who knows? We'll have to see. But I do want to talk about your guy, Josh Primo. Let's talk about that. So he (laughs) just got assigned to the G League. I just ran a poll for Pounding the Rock. 51 percent of the over twelve hundred voters said They don't want him in the G League. The other 49% said, yeah, send him to the G League. So, like, Spurs fans are split down the middle. I kind of think that that poll's relatively representative of the entire fan base, even though it was just 1,200 people. What was your opinion on that? Do you think he should be in the G League, or did you want him playing NBA Minutes right away?
0: No, you're right about that. I think it does show the fan base's opinion on it, for sure, because guys like you, who I trust, even um, (laughs) all-day sport talk, uh, they're like, no, keep him in the G League. you know, And I understand that. And so a I, I, uh, man it's and it's, sometimes it's just funny like to just say stuff immediately and I'm like yeah, <laughs> keep Primo in San Antonio or something like that right but I understand putting him in the G League so I'm fine with it I just want that Usage rate and I know this may sound crazy but I want that Usage rate at like 35% in the G League like, I on, want get it, get a 40 yes, get a 40, 40 as many pr- yes. such as reps as he can get 100% <laughs> so that's why I'm fine with the G League I'll probably make my way down to Austin several times to watch that as well so I think I think Primo in the G League is fine with me as long as he's getting those reps. And then, hey, maybe later on during the season, we may see it kind of a little bit of a different Spurs team. Maybe Brennan Forbes isn't in the rotation. Maybe Thad Young's not here. Maybe KBD's not getting 14 minutes a night. And we could see a little bit. You know, we could see Primo for eight minutes a night, 10 minutes tonight, or something like that. But I'm fine with the G League move. I think it, it, uh, a part of you always wants to just see, you know, your young <laughs> players play, right? But I get it. I, I get the move and I'm fine with it.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really tough. So if you look at Lonnie Walker from a few years ago, the reason that I wanted him playing in the NBA was not because I didn't want him in the G League. It was because he wasn't in the G League. He was sitting at the end of the bench. He wasn't playing any games at all. He was just sitting there. He wasn't getting any development. He was just getting to watch. He may get a few minutes here and there, but he was yanked. Marco's playing and like Marco's not here anymore. But Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, those guys are Derek White, DeJounte Murray. There's not really any minutes for him. So if he's on the team, I understand the value of getting to know your teammates and, and practicing with your teammates and, and traveling with your teammates. But look, at the end of the day, if you're just sitting on the bench, what does that do for you? As an 18-year-old, a guy who really has not been a primary option, facilitator, or score, whatever you want to call it, since he was in high school, what does it do for you? Like he needs those reps. He needs those touches. He needs the shots. He needs the minutes. They're not available in San Antonio. So look, send him to Austin. They already did that. Crank up his usage rate, have him take every shot on ball rep, pick and roll ball handling opportunity in the world and let him run like because and I'll throw something out here and I'd love to get your opinion on it too. But look, he he was good during preseason, but what did he play? Third stringers, guys who are on exhibit 10 contracts, guys who got cut, who are no longer in the NBA, guys who are in the G League. He had a one game where he came in when the Spurs had pretty comfortably sealed the deal in the, that preseason opener, right? He went 17 points in 18 minutes. That was really encouraging, but like, who did he do it against? There was not really any pressure on him. And then you look at sort of what he was able to do besides that. And I know that he had like one really, really nice pass, right? He had like a a crazy pass against the Houston Rockets where he found Keldon in the corner. Besides that, he didn't really have a lot of high end passing flashes pretty loose with the ball, had quite a few turnovers you know, he created off the dribble a little bit, but still struggled to get past people to get to the rim. So, you know, at the end of the day, we can say, Oh yeah, like this guy's the next guy, but like, look, we're not going to know that until he gets that opportunity in Austin to show it because that's not coming in the NBA. It's not coming with San Antonio this season. So I think this is the best move. And at the end of the day, he's going to be there with Joe Wieskamp. He's going to have Devonte Kaycock, a guy who I really like as a pick and roll partner for him. He's going to be reliable there. I, I really think that's going to be good for his development but who knows? Maybe he comes back at the all-star break. Maybe he's earned minutes, like you said. Like I just want I want to be excited for him, but I also know that I've got to pump the brakes because I've been a guy who who's said, you know, I really like Lonnie, I really like Devin, I really like Derek, I really like DeJounte. And then, you know, we're still trying to figure out who those guys are now. You know, you're three, you're four, you're five, you're six. So I'm I'm willing to be sort of more patient with a guy who's 18 years old than I am with someone who's, you know, 25, 26 years old. But I like Primo. What do you think we can expect from him in the G League? Do you think he's a guy who's going to dominate? Or or do you think maybe we'll see a little bit of what we saw in Summer League where it's like, okay, the flashes are there, but the efficiency is just terrible?
0: There's a part of me that really thinks like this may be like a cop out answer, but like I think we're going to know pretty quickly, like what we're going to see. And I mean, like if it's (laughs) if it's off the rip game one, game two, and like Primo's putting up some really impressive numbers and. You Know because my big deal with him, my big thing that I saw that would that made me think, like, hey, maybe this kid can play right, May, but not like you know 20 minutes a night, but very you know little minutes here and there and stuff like that was just the comfort you know with the ball in his hands. While yes, he did commit some turnovers and then efficiency numbers were not great, he definitely looked very comfortable with the basketball in his hands, he knew what he was doing, uh, very much in control. And from an 18 year old, 19 year old kid, like that's really that's really impressive. That's what I kind of liked more, and that's something that I always look for is comfort, obviously, like. If you're if you're comfortable with the basketball and you're heaving shots and you're making ten percent of them, like that's not good. But you know what I mean uh, (laughs) along those along those lines. But in terms of Primo, yeah, I think in the G League we're going to see him with the ball in his hands, like we like we were mentioning and joking around. We're really going to see him with the ball in his hands a ton. And uh, I think overall one one thing that we should all expect is for him to play you know pretty solid hoops, like you got to remember he's 18 years old and yeah, he's not playing against, you know, true NBA talent, but I think there's a chance that Primo could be look really, really good in the G league. Like I'm, I do, I do like him a lot. So maybe I'm biased or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. And I'm, and I'm excited to see what he does.
1: I'm right there with you. And I know I don't really live close to San Antonio. I'm in the DFW area, but I've already got tickets to go to the Texas legends games when they play the Austin Spurs. I want to see him. I think he's prime time. Like he's prime time. We saw that. And I know like, that's, the, the plays that he made where he just had those incredible flashes of on ball creation of being able to find teammates of being able to shoot threes from the corner, move around without the ball, like all of that, all of those flashes that's what have people excited. And I'm excited for that too. I'm ready to see him play. Even if it's just in the G league, I think it's going to be really integral to his long-term development and, and look 18 years old, he's got plenty of time to develop. And, and I think I tweeted this out. He became the 15th youngest player ever to play in an NBA game. He took that spot from LeBron James. I'm not saying he's going to be LeBron James or anything like that. (laughs) But the fact that he got into a game that young, the fact that the Spurs have this much confidence in him as an 18-year-old, that's huge. So, you know, I'm going to go ahead and trust the Spurs' judgment on this one. I know the last one, Luka Shamanich, didn't work out well here, wasn't a perfect situation. But look, this kid, Josh Primo, looks a lot different. He's got the confidence. He's got the poise. He has a lot of the skills that when we were talking about Luka, we said theoretical, and right now we're already saying like, these are tangible. They're not fully fledged, but they're tangible. So I'm really excited for Josh Primo. I want to see what he can do out in the G League. Hopefully that, you know, becomes NBA minutes at some point. But I think I want to move on to one last segment. I want to try something new with you. So, you know, you're a big stats guy. I'm a big stats guy. We'd love to talk about yeah. stats. So I wanted to get your three stats that sort of stood out to you this week. And, you know, the Spurs opening week of basketball.
0: So I think I, I don't want to take this one away from you. Uh, so I'm not going <laughs> to say the first one I was going to. I think the first thing for me is just going to be like flat out. I'm taking one of them away from you, but one of them <laughs> is going to be um, just three point attempts. I think it's interesting how the Spurs, you know, they're shooting 32 attempts a game and that's up from last year, but the efficiency still is not there. And so shooting, you know, 32 or making 32% of your shots. I do like the volume. I mean, 32 is fine considering like this team does have a lot of like non-shooters at the moment. The numbers cool. The numbers fine. The the output, the volume, but you need to make more of those. I think that's that's it's it's discouraging to start, but thank God we got 82 games or we got 78 more of these to go. (laughs) Uh, I would say one more that I'm really, really kind of like I've been watching a little bit was just their pick and roll ball handler numbers. So they run so they run this the they have the the pick and roll ball handler numbers at 20.6% frequency. They're only getting 0.80 points per possession on that. And so that's a little bit worrisome for me, uh, just because I feel like they have some solid pick and roll players, like whether it's Derek White or uh, again Devin Vassell. I think we can we could talk about that a little <laughs> bit more, you know, maybe on another one, another show. But I know a lot of people like Lonnie Walker in the pick and roll and stuff like that, you know. So they're they're kind of you know middle of the pack, in, in terms of uh, points per possession, a little bit worse. So that's kind of stood out to me. And my last one uh, was pull up shooting. So it's interesting because so as a pull up uh, uh, shooting team they shoot on their field goals, on their field goal attempts, they're at 41%, right? Which, at first, you may be like, oh, that's not too bad, right? Well, from three, they're one of the worst teams. They're, they're making 26% of their pull-up threes. So, I'm telling you, once the three-point numbers go up, maybe we're looking at an offense, they may be a little bit better once they can become a better pull-up shooting team, or even a better pick-and-roll team. There's a lot to kind of, you know, gauge at this moment. But, man, the Spurs, they, they still have some upside to, to, you know, tap into here, folks. Like, This isn't going to be the offense for all, you know, 82 games. So those are the three numbers that I kind of, you know, looked at.
1: No, and I I love those a lot. And I think I'll just comment on on the last one real quick, because I think pull up shooting from three, that's sort of that that's all star level territory, right? The guys who can do that, they're special. You know, guys like Shea Gilgis Alexander, guys like Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, guys like Kevin Durant. And, And to be honest, the Spurs don't really have a guy like that. Like their best three point shooters off the dribble, you know, pull up. It's probably got to be Derek White, Lonnie Walker, and what Doug McDermott. And Doug probably mm-hmm. doesn't have the ball in his hands enough to really do that. That's not really his game either. So, I don't really see the pull-up numbers getting much better. I think they're going to struggle in that area all season. But I do think the three-point numbers in general will get better. You know, we hear regress to the mean when teams start out really high, but I think they're they're going to progress to the mean if that's a thing. Yeah. I don't know if that's a thing, but <laughs> but, I, but I I, feel I get like what they, you mean though. Eventually, you know, like they're eventually going to shoot a little bit better from three. And I agree with you. I do think the offense is going to look better for that once it ends up happening. And I'll go ahead and throw out my last two things. So for me, I've been looking at pace, you know, pop talked about it all training camp. He talked about it during media day. You know, this is a young team. They're athletic. They're fast. We're going to push the pace. And I thought, okay, you look at traditional pace, the Spurs are sort of just like in the middle of the of the league. And I went, okay, well that's sort of where they were last year. That's not encouraging. But my buddy here, our buddy Charlie O'Charles from Pounding the Rock, he reached out to me He was like, look, I think you should look at these numbers because I don't think your eyes are lying to you. Because for me, I was like, how could they be in the middle of the pack? They look like they're pushing the pace. They look like they're going fast. Like, what am I missing here? And he was like, look, look at these numbers. They're from play-by-play stats. It shows offensive pace and defensive pace. So I want to just, you know, throw these out there real quick. So. You look at offensive pace, the Spurs are number eight in the league. They only take 13.86 seconds per shot, not on second chance opportunities, just on first chance opportunities, eighth fastest in the league. So they are, they're, they're going faster than we've seen them go in a very long time, maybe ever, you know, they're really pushing the pace. We saw that against the Lakers. We saw that against Orlando. And then the thing that I really like is the defensive pace. So defensive pace, you want it to be slower because you're working, you know, you're making the opponent work for shots. And on that end, the Spurs are, if you give me one second here, they are sixth in the league. They're taking nearly 15 seconds. Their opponents are taking almost 15 seconds to get a shot off. That's really encouraging because like we discussed, their defense has been really good. The personnel, they have that finally to be able to make teams work for points. And we're seeing that every single night. I know that there have been some high scoring outings, but at the end of the night, these these guys are really making their opponents work for the for their shots, for their points. And I think that's encouraging because that's going to have to keep up for the rest of the season for them to be competitive. And, you know, luckily they have guys like DeJounte Murray and Derek White and Yaka Purtle, And I'd even throw in, you know, Devin Vassell and, and uh, Drew Eubanks to an extent in there as well. So really happy with that. And I guess the last thing I want to lead off here in terms of the stats that uh, I really like from the Spurs or, or that really stood out to me was just their turnovers that they've been forcing and points off turnovers right now. I think if I'm looking right, I think I have these right right now. They're points off turnovers. They're getting 20 and a half per game, which is fourth in the league. So not only are they making it really hard for their opponents to score points, they're making it hard for them to just dribble the ball around, you know, pass the ball, like they're intercepting balls, they're getting deflections, they're getting steals, they're getting blocks. And then they're going the other way and they're scoring points, which is the easiest way to have offense besides getting to the free throw line. So really, really encouraged by that. I hope that, that that sort of maintains throughout the season. That's yet to be seen, but... Overall, I think the Spurs have looked a lot better than one and three. And uh, I, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I'd love to know, you know, before we close out things, is this team better than one and three right now? Or are they playing better than one and three?
0: No, no, they're not better than one and three because they're not better than the teams that they lost to, but they're better than them. Like, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're, they are what their record says they are. They're a young team. They're one and three for a reason. I don't think they shouldn't be one and three. I didn't think they were going to be anything other than one and three, but. No, I think they are what the record says they are. It doesn't mean that they stink. It's just that they're a young team and they're showing that they're a young team.
1: I think that's fair. I'll go with the opposite end of the spectrum. I think they are better than a one and three team, not because they should have beat the, the teams that they are playing, but I don't think at the end of the year they're gonna have like a 25% winning, you know, oh. percentage. I, I think <laughs> yeah. I think they're better than a one and three team, but I, I agree with you. I don't think they should have beat any of the teams they lost to. They faced the reigning champions, they faced the reigning MVP, and then they also faced You know, maybe LeBron James was gone, but Anthony Davis is also an MVP level player. Like I know people like to give him flack for, oh, he can't stay healthy or he's always on the ground or, oh, this dude wants to shoot, but he can't play in the interior like Duncan. Like, it's okay, He doesn't need to be Duncan. He's his own player. He's really, really good. Clearly, we saw that last night. So, yeah, Yeah. I think the Spurs have been pretty good, even if their record doesn't show it. But let's go ahead and close things out here. And before I let you go, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you on social media what you got going on? Throw anything out there that you want to.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. First, uh, I appreciate it, man. This was a lot of fun. I just love talking Spurs hoops, bros. This is pretty dope. Anyone Spurs fans, basketball fans, y'all can find me at D A Bartonic on Twitter. That's at D A B A R T O N E K. I cover the Spurs for Pound in the Rock. I cover the Washington football team for Rigos Rag, and I do a lot of Texas State football stuff, Texas State sports stuff in general as well all that stuff's on my Twitter. So just follow me. I got my own football podcast. I got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Y'all just <laughs> check out the Twitter and just holler at me, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely check out what Dame's doing. And, and everybody, thank you so much for joining me once again. And uh, thank you to everybody who tuned into this edition of Alamo city limits. And for those listening at home, make sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at pounding the rock and that now includes Damien. So go ahead and check out everything that we're doing there, but until next time Spurs fans, take care.